Yeah. It's the soil and it's Asante Sun. Asante Sun, of course, means thank you very much. Thank you, Tanzania, for uh, the contribution that they made to the struggle um, and, and for housing young South Africans when they were displ- displaced for trying to fight for their freedom, trying to fight for equal education. And 39 years after the passing of, of Steve Biko, um, you, you, you have to wonder if the, the ideals of Steve Biko really have dwindled as people uh, seem to think in present-day South Africa. But, ah, Steve Biko, black consciousness, that isn't relevant, 22 years into democracy. And then there's the concern that black consciousness is also seen as an anti-white ideal. And that's something that needs to be looked at. I'm going to take your calls on this one, 0891-104-207. Again, 0891-104-207. Does Steve Biko's legacy live in fallism? (laughs) It's a word that's made up, obviously, but this is a word that speaks to the advent of um, the, 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 the hashtag movement. So, hashtag uh, fees must fall, hashtag, um, you know, uh, hair restrictions must fall. So we, we, we struggled to get in touch with Samamiele Tlagavu, who's the youth activist that wrote the article that says that Bigo lives in fallism. I don't know where she is. If you do know where she is, tell her that she promised us an interview and then she disappeared on us at the final hour. But we do have one of our um, contributors in the Motivation Corner and uh, a young man who is Pan-Africanist himself, Mtlanga Nisi Madlongolwana. You know him as the co-founder of the Desert Startup Bootcamp. Mtlanga, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Hey, my lady. Good afternoon. Um, sorry for my nosy sort of sound. I'm suffering from some sort of flu. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm not dead yet, so that's cool. Yeah, no, no. As long as you're not dead, that's all we need, Mtlanga. <laughs> Yeah, listen. You know, you know, how are you doing? No, I'm well. I'm well. I I have to say that um, on Monday when we when everyone was talking about the passing of 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 um, the the anniversary of the passing of uh, Steve Biko, I wondered sure. if we should have you know if we should or shouldn't have bigger sort of um, celebrations to mark this man's life. <laughs> I I. Look, there's, a, there's two ways of thinking about this. Mm. One, because, because legacy lives on whether or not you you celebrate him. I think that's the one thing that I think is is, is very encouraging for me personally. Mm. So you'll see because work is being read quite widely, because work is being quoted quite widely. Um, and some people feel the need to own Biko. <laughs> I won't mention yeah. any names, mm. but I think... That in itself means that that's a legacy that doesn't need any event-based celebrations because those are thought processes that have lived long uh, beyond the man himself. And I mm. think that's really encouraging. So it's great. It, it would be great to have because legacy celebrated, um, have people understand and have conversations around the man, but also around the movement, because I think that's what's going to be important, and the thought philosophy, and not necessarily just the individual. So Mm. I think it's a two-pronged thing. I'm really happy that the concept of black consciousness has outlived Biko himself, the individual, and I think that's something that we ought to be proud of, and that's something that we ought to celebrate and hold going forward. Yeah. Um, 
the, the, the idea of, of, of the ideals of black consciousness now, it's interesting you say that, they, that they've outlived Biko. My concern is that they may not be as well as understood in present-day South Africa as they should be. Um, a lot of South Africans still hold the view that black consciousness is, is, is anti-white. And, and, and that's something that obviously is because we haven't had valid conversations about black consciousness. When we do, it's because we're saying this must fall or let us wear our afros. <laughs> this is very true. Hmm. I think, I think, Naledi, there, there are a couple of ways. So, ideology is, is, you cannot have a single application of ideology. Hmm. Um, so, for instance, Marxists are always telling you this is how Marxism works, and then that's why, for instance, Marxists themselves call each other yellow communists, red communists, and all of that. Because I think largely it's an understanding of ideology itself and how you apply ideology to your life. Mm. But what's always encouraging is that the conversation around that ideology continues to happen. So we should be worried when young people are no longer saying, however falsely they may, no longer quoting black consciousness as a point of reference for ideological discussion. Mm. So, so I think it's great that young people are saying, look, um, let us wear our Afros the way we want to, because that's self-determination, and I think Nico writes very widely around self-determination. In fact, the, con- the concept of black consciousness speaks very widely about self-determination. But there are also other things that, 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 that Biko writes about, and the black consciousness movement, for instance, mm. around white allies. So this is something that's really important, and it's a discussion that we're not having. Mm. It says, for instance, uh, um, in his work, I write what I like, he writes about, uh, about white allies and how white allies, however um, sort of great the intention might be in helping dismantle uh, um, sort of structural racism against the black man, still speak from a position of privilege. Now that gets us thinking around how people involve themselves in the struggles of others and what necessarily needs to be the conversation that we have mm. around um, sort of allegiances, especially from those in positions of privilege. So I think that for me is something really encouraging that we need to think about. Um, I think it's great that young people are having the conversations. I think it's great even if sometimes they butcher the knowledge, the knowledge process because then we then have the opportunity to say, my lady, I don't understand the work in this way. How's about you refer to, origi- to the original work? How's about you refer to the founding of the, the BCM so that you can understand it? Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Because that means that person wants to understand it, may quote, may quote incorrectly passages, or may apply or misapply the, the, the philosophy. But at the end of the day, there's still an individual that's going to go back and read up about it. And I think that's great. As soon as people stop reading, as soon as people stop engaging, that's when the, the, the thought process dies out. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned the issue of, of um, you know, the allegiances that uh, black South Africans might form with uh, the people in power, people in, in superior positions. And you talk about white people. Um, and, and, and some of the black consciousness ideals on how much of a role they really can play in the black struggle. 
What we should talk about is how young people today are interpreting that ideal. If you remember the, the Fees Must Fall campaign as it, as it you know, really started to reach its height last year, you saw, uh, was it the students when they went into Parliament in Cape Town? Yeah. And then they had the, the, the white students in front of them as, as human shields. And I think that's a great example of, of using that power to make a powerful statement. But I'm going to just open up the lines for questions and comments, right? The question is, um, does Biko live in the, in, in the advent of fallism? <laughs> Love that word. <laughs> <laughs> that we're seeing sweeping over our generation, uh, in 2015, 2016. Give me a call, 0891104207. I have an SMS that, that says, um, the youth of today are nothing like Biko. He would never have supported the arson, violence, and intimidation. He was pro-education and empowerment for everyone, including those that actually want to study. That's S. in Durban. What do you say to that, Mshang? You know, Lady, I think obviously, um, and I've mentioned this quite widely on sort of all platforms that I've spoken about, I think violence in general is really stupid. Um, from all sides, by the way, because I think it's really important that we've seen the student voice being drowned out, um, and we've seen the pictures and the images of burning buildings, for instance, um, drowning out the fact that students are getting shot at, mm. be it live ammunition or rubber bullets, mm. but students are getting shot at, and innocent students are getting injured within the process itself. And I think that in itself is totally problematic. I do think that it's it's disingenuous to say young people of today are nothing like Beagle. Mm. Um, I remember having this conversation with you a couple of months back, or it could be a year or so back, saying that young black people are actually finding themselves, more than our generation even. Mm. So you now have young black people who, in the spaces we assimilated in, are questioning these spaces. Mm. So you find, for instance, young people in, at Pretoria Gold High School. Mm. So those are young people that come from relative privilege, have relative access to spaces, and are saying, hey, hold up, this space doesn't allow me to be the best black person, for instance. Mm. I want to be, do you understand? Mm. So for instance, a simple, and I think the most poignant point that was made around that was when, young, when the young lady said, but this is the texture of my hair, it is not a hairstyle, you understand? Mm. So it is who I am as an individual. Now, the space that I exist in, excuse me, says to me that I am invalid because this space does not recognize who I am genetically. Now, that may seem really, really minute when you think about it, but actually, when we apply our thinking to it, we realize that these are young people that want to self-determine. Mm. that are thinking about their blackness and that are saying about their blackness, this is who I am, this is the space that must accommodate, in fact, mustn't even accommodate, must allow for me to be the best I am in the space that I exist in. Mm. So I think, I think it's disingenuous to say young people do not um, represent anything that is legal. Yeah. Obviously, generations have different ways of addressing their issues. Um, universities have been around for hundreds of years, but have not really addressed issues of, of young black students. Mm. It's unfortunate that it has to get violent, but I think it's problematic to say that Biko would not have wanted violence. I think it's a, it's a, it's a syn syndrome in South Africa that we want to speak for the dead. Mm. I think that it's great that young people are actually thinking about their blackness. It's great that young people are saying the spaces that I exist in 
must be disrupted to ensure that I can be black and safe within that black. Right. Well, Mzanga, I need to take a break, and then we're going to open up the lines, all right? The number to call, 0891-104-207. In tune with Naledi Maleo on SAFM. So does Biko still live in fallism? Taking your calls on 0891 I'm still speaking to uh, youth activist Mflanganesi uh, Majongulane and, of course, the co-founder of the Desert Startup Bootcamp. Colin is on the line in Cape Town. Colin, good afternoon. Good morning. Afternoon. Hello. It's afternoon, Colin. Good afternoon, yes. Afternoon. <laughs> um, I'm just listening to your program. Hmm. And they, uh, your guest is talking about the hairstyles and things like that. Hmm. Now, if you take the age of those children, they are much, much younger compared to 18, 20, 25, 26-year-old sure. students sure. at university. One would see a, uh, the same. Uh, those uh, students at the age of 20s and 25s and 30s are acting just like the 14, 12-year-olds. So the respect has flown out of the door of years and years ago, even amongst all races. What, uh, what is it that you, that you find disrespectful, Colin? Um, the burning of things, got no respect for anything like that. And you know what I mean? But you, you, you're comparing um, burning of, of buildings to, to 14-year-olds that are protesting to wear their hair as it grows out of their that, head. That's what I'm saying now. You can expect that from 14-year-olds, 12-year-olds, you know what I mean? To, to do, voice do you opinion. understand the, 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 the point that was being made by these girls at Pretoria Girls High? That it wasn't about disrespecting... I know, women. I know, I know. What I'm trying to say is that the gap between that age, you can understand that age carrying on like that, little youngsters, but you cannot expect or, uh, the... the, the uh, students of 25, 26, 30 year olds, they should be growing up. You know what I mean? So it's a big difference between a, a school kid, a youngster, and a, a, a 21 year old at you, at varsity. When okay. you go to varsity, you are looking forward to a future. In other words, economics, business, whatever it is, doctors, lawyers, whatever it is. So you should not actually behave the way you are behaving. So students that are protesting for free and accessible quality education are uh, not thinking for their future. Students who, yeah. or learners who want to wear their hair as it grows out of their heads are not thinking for their future. Tell me something, you want free education. Okay, so if you want free fees at university, then how do you expect to burn down millions and millions of rands with the equipment? And expect free education. Okay, oh, Okay, thank you. Colin, thanks for calling. You know, part of the problem, Sanganisi, is that because of the burning and the violence, South Africans are unable to look into what is really being said. Um, and, and, and I don't know how we move, how we move around that. So, so I think, one, um, when we actually make reference to, to the torching of, of infrastructure, on a technical basis, and I'm going to be a pedant about this, is that you haven't caught one student and convicted a student for burning a building. Although, look at UJ, for instance. UJ has been doing a back and forth, and it's, about, it's been about six months now, but there's been no real evidence. And I'm not condoning any of that. So I think that every single time people base their, their sort of assumptions and opinions on, on assumptions that are not based in fact, I think it's problematic, one. But I think, 
secondly, what's really problematic for me about Collins' sort of point in general is that he's saying that once young people step into a university, they must comply to what is or with what is happening within that space. I think that's really problematic. When you look at our universities, which are largely former white-run institutions, these are institutions that make it difficult for the for, for, for black students mm-hmm. that make it difficult to be yourself within that space itself. So, for instance, one of the other things that students are calling for, which I think is absolutely brilliant, is decolonizing South African higher education. What that means is that I need to read material that's relevant to my context. I need to get tools to analyze society that's relevant to my context. So now if you step into a university of the free state, which I went to, mm. you stepped into the university of the free state, the first thing that's told to you as a young black student, first day in residence, is that you need to call all the, the grown men in the residence wombs and, and aunties and all of these individuals. So already what you then have is a system that tells you this is the culture, this is how things are done, if you're going to survive, you're going to have to assimilate. And I think that's really problematic because once you assimilate, you're stepping away from the individual that mm. you are trying to survive into the system. So the whole notion that you must go there and focus on school is actually really problematic because when you think about it, the spaces that people thrive in are spaces that allow them to be in those spaces. Yeah. So the LGBTIQ community, for instance, is a community that's very neglected in these spaces, and you're saying to these people, don't be gay, just graduate, and then you can go and be gay outside, whilst you should be developing within the institution itself. Mm-hmm. I think it's really problematic for people to say respect. What are we respecting? Systems that are 100 years old. 100 years ago, my great-grandfather wouldn't even have gotten close to the gates of the University of the Free State. So I think it's really important for us to change our mindset okay. when it comes to that. Listen, I'm going to take just one last call and then close this as soon as we uh, cross to Rio. Manfred is standing by to give us an update on what's happening with the Paralympics. Manfred? In tune with Naledi Maleo on SAFM. Thanks, Manfred. So let's wrap up our discussion on uh, whether Biko still lives on, um, in, especially in, in the advent of fallism. Um, let's, let's close this, Mshang. We... On Monday, we, we, we said, okay, it's been 39 years since Steve Biko's passing. We all reflected on what black consciousness means and how it fits into where we are now as South Africans. There is a white young person listening, a black young person, Indian colored, and they think, what am I supposed to do with black consciousness? Not just for the black person, but what is, what is an Indian South African supposed to do with black consciousness? What is, what is a white South African supposed to do with it? That's a really tricky question, mm. um, and it's tricky because I could give you a very um, politically incorrect answer. Um, I think for me, and I think this is really important, it also looks at how you look at the categories of race, for instance. So, so I, 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 I've asserted and I've said it many a times. I think an Indian South African is as black as a black South African, um, for me personally, that is. Mm. Um, and those are categories of race, obviously, that were handed down to us, and we constantly have to grapple with them. But in the context of your question, I think for me personally, 
um, the black consciousness movement and not just the individual, because I think we need to move away from celebrating individuals, but their thoughts and legacies. Mm. The black consciousness movement, for me, speaks to self-determination. It speaks to loving yourself so much that you can be who you are and thrive in the spaces that you exist in without necessarily having to conform. So when Liko, for instance, writes 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 in I write what I like, he writes about the the, the, the the mind of the oppressed and how the mind of the oppressed gives power to to those who oppress. Now at that stage it was easier to to to, to look to have an enemy. The apartheid government was the enemy. Mm. But right now the oppressor is a lot of things. Structural racism exclusion, do you understand, homophobia, mm. Mm. xenophobia, those are the concepts that keep people out of actually sort of living their best lives. Right. I, I use such cool kid language, but basically that's it. It's living your best life. Understanding and being safe within who you are. Wearing yeah. an afro if you want to, wearing a beard, for instance, if you want to, because I think even hair is great is a great symbol of defiance, especially for those young 12, 13-year-olds who are told that your hair needs to be slick in order for you to be clean. Mm. That in itself is problematic. Okay. You understand? Your hair needs to be a certain texture. And I think once young people are able to self-determine, that's going to be, that's going to be when young people start understanding what the black consciousness movement means. I right. would say to young people in universities, Kubani Minga Yeki, However, we need to be more strategic about our struggles. We need to fight our battles strategically and understand the system that we're fighting in order for us to dismantle it. But Ninga Pelimanda, Kubani, this is going to change. You just need to keep going. Okay. Nlanga, thanks so much for chatting to us. It's always a pleasure. Sure thing. Thank you very much, lady. Great stuff. You're still on Inchin on SFM. The constant threat of recession. Deadlines that range from super urgent to outrageously urgent. The office can be a real pressure cooker work environment. So let's take a moment then to appreciate a dedicated employee that works harder than any other in the office. Harder than an intern on a company-wide coffee run. Harder than a Facebook account during a tea break. Harder than a company credit card.